1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, Paul, still on trial, shares the gospel and gives his testimony to Herod Agrippa. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 25, verse 22. Once again, that's Acts chapter 25, verse
0: 22. And so Agrippa said unto Festus, well, I would like also to hear the man myself. And Festus says, you can hear him tomorrow, man. I don't know what to do. Now, Herod Agrippa here is the last of the Herods. He's the last of the Herodian line, Herod Agrippa II. We saw Herod Agrippa I earlier. Remember, he came out and people said, oh, it's not the voice of a man, it's the voice of a god. And he accepted it and he died very shortly thereafter. This was an interesting individual. He remained unmarried, he had no children, which is why he's the last one in the line. He was known for his incestuous relationship with his older sister, Bernice. It gives you a little bit of idea about this guy's character but he was a very powerful man. He was in control. He had the ear of Caesar. And so he was appointed to the position of of power there in Rome. He was in control of the temple treasury and he was in control of the appointment of the high priest, which means he had way more influence than Felix or Festus would ever have governmentally. The Romans in charge at that time would often consult him on religious matters. And that's what's going on here. He says, man, he, uh, he explains, I doubted of such manner of questions. The word there means to be at a complete loss. I had no clue what they were talking about, man. He's crazy religious people, I don't know what they were talking about. Agrippa would better understand these issues and he might be able to help Festus make a more politically adept decision. And so Paul is going to be tried before Agrippa, verse 23. And on the morrow when Agrippa was come in Bernice with great pomp, a big, huge, lavish ceremony, and was entered into the place of hearing with the chief captains and the principal men of the city at Festus's commandment, Paul was brought forth. So Paul is going to have some kind of audience here. He's got every dignitary in town is gonna to have to listen to his voice. And you know, that's interesting because that's what God said he would do. It's, part, it's a partial fulfillment of Acts nine fifteen, where he said, you would speak unto kings and magistrates and leaders among the Gentiles. And so here Paul is with every dignitary in town at his attention. And Festus, he announces here, he said, King Agrippa and all men which are here present with us, You see this man, and there's Paul. Everybody's dressed up all nice. It's a big, huge party. And here's Paul chained to two Roman soldiers, you know, comes out. He says, King of Rippa and all the men which are here present, you see this man, about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me, both at Jerusalem and also here, crying that he ought not to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I have determined to send him of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord. That's interesting. That's a term of deity. When he calls Caesar Lord here, it's that idea of the family genus, the the family deity is coming upon him and making him a God. That's why the Bible, when people say, oh, the, the Bible never says that Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord is a term of deity, okay? It is a term of deity. When they would say Kaiser, Caesar is Lord, they were saying that he is God, And so when we say, no, Caesar's not Lord, Jesus is Lord, right? We're saying Jesus is God. So of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord, wherefore I have brought him before you, and especially before you, O King Agrippa, that after examination is had, I might have somewhat to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not withal to signify the claims laid against him. Duh, you know, that's not a good idea. So at this point, Agrippa takes over the ceremony, verse 1 of chapter 26. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched forth the hand, and he answered for himself. And he speaks with very high language here, very different than Paul would normally speak, because he's speaking to a bunch of dignitaries. He says, I think myself happier. I consider myself blessed, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before you concerning all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know you to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech you to hear me patiently. He says, I want to give you the full story. And this is the fullest story of Paul's conversion that we have anywhere in the scripture. It really is more than anything else, his personal testimony. Now, because of Agrippa's knowledge of Jewish custom and law, Herod was partially Edomite, partially Jewish, okay, through his heritage. And so because of the fact that he had much Jewish knowledge and he understood Jewish law and theology, he felt Agrippa was qualified to give him a sympathetic hearing, at least an understanding hearing. So Paul tells him the entire story. And in doing so, he he preaches the gospel to everyone present. And so in verse four, he starts off with his past and how it ties to his present. He says, my manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know, which knew me from the beginning. If they would testify that after the most straightest or strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Immediately Herod Agrippa would know, okay, he was a Pharisee. He was a, he was, he believed the scriptures. He believed about living righteously and he was zealous. Okay. And now I stand here and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. Unto which promise our 12 tribes instantly or zealously or devotedly, perseveringly, it says we have served God day and night. For this hope, this is why we serve him day and night. We're trying to be faithful because of this hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Paul says, I'm a Pharisee. He says, it was ingrained into me to believe all the scriptures and to follow all of God's law. Now, by Paul saying that, he is giving an explanation to Agrippa because most of his accusers were the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees, conversely, only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. They only believed in the books of Moses. They didn't believe any of the other books were inspired. And so Paul says that this belief in what all the scriptures teach is what has brought him to this problem today. What he believes, the Bible says in its entirety in the Old Testament, about the Messiah is what has brought him to this place. For he talks about that thing, that hope, the promise made of God unto our fathers, the hope that we just zealously and persevere knowing that it's coming. That's the hope of the Messiah. Paul says, this has been our heritage since God set our people apart way back in Genesis to persevere in expectance of our coming Messiah. He says, I have taken my stance that this hope has come, and that's why they want to kill me. And so verse 8, he explains about his initial animosity towards Christ. He says, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? He says, you know, that's how I thought. This idea that the Messiah would come and die, it just didn't make any sense to me. And so my initially, I I had this animosity towards Christ, but he throws out the question, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? Why should it be thought unbelievable that God could create the world in six days and rest on the seventh? Why should it be thought incredible that God could tell Noah to build an ark and flood the world? Why should it be incredible that a large fish could swallow a man? I mean, really, if he's God Almighty, is any of those things even weird to think about? I really don't have any problem with any of that stuff. See, when I look at myself, I'm only 40, 40 years old, I'll be 41 in two days. So I'm clinging to 40. In those 40 years, I have learned how incredibly incapable I am at times. I have learned about how incredibly insufficient my knowledge is. And so if Almighty God says to me, Yeah, I put a man inside a big fish, I'm gonna go, pretty sure he knew how to figure it out. Even if I can't, I'm pretty sure he knew how to figure it out. I grew up on Star Wars and all that kind of stuff. All that kind of things are cool to me. Someday, you know, I, somebody showed me yesterday this hover helicopter thing. It, it, it's this thing where it's like a rotocopter or whatever. It's got like the four blades. And it's how these, these things go around. And they showed me this video of a guy who's creating one that a, a person could sit on. A fly motorcycle, basically that's crazy. (laughs) And I'm watching this prototype, you know, go around in this beautiful little field, you know, and of course, you know, probably didn't show the videos of like the 18 crashes and burnouts and fires and stuff. But, you know, I'm not getting on it anytime soon. We can do some pretty amazing things. I'm pretty sure God, almighty God could do some really amazing things. I don't think it's hard for him. She so says, why should it be not believable? And that's a great question. How, how hard is it for God to raise the dead? How, how hard is anything for God? I mean, it's like God, you know, you, know, you get kind of that last rep and you know, your face is getting all, you know, whatever, and you get it finally. I don't think God's up there doing that. I don't think God's looking, oh, Will made problems for me again. Oh, I don't know, you know, and, and he's really working hard, you know. I don't think there's any strain or any stress, you know. I don't think a few nearby angels pass out from the, you know, the, the complexity of it, you know. And yet the cross is the problem point for everybody. Why would God have to punish his son in our place? It makes no sense. The crime doesn't fit the punishment. Ah, and, and, And we think we know better. Isn't Jesus' life just a good example? God didn't say that. He said his life was a sacrifice. How can a dead man be the Messiah? He didn't stay dead. Jesus came back from the dead? Man, I don't believe in fairy tales. You know, the cross is a stumbling block, the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18-24, it's a stumbling block. But is it really irrational or not credible if God is real? Is it? I am the Lord, but he says, behold, I am the Lord, is anything too hard for me? The answer, of course, is no. <laughs> so he says, I verily thought with myself, verse nine, that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison Having received authority from the chief priests and when they were put to death, I gave my voice, I cast my pebbles, what that is a literal translation, I voted for their death against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and I compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly mad with rage is what it means against them. I persecuted them even unto foreign cities. Whereupon as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the, high, from the chief priests. You know, it's interesting when Luke told the story in Acts chapter nine, it sounded bad, what Paul did. But here Paul gives his insight, his personal testimony of his emotions and his mindset at that time. He treated Christians like animals in his rage. And you know what? That shows that God's grace can save even the most violent sinner. Do you believe that? You know, I must never allow myself to get in this works righteousness theology because it affects my outreach. I have had Christians tell me, well, you know, I want to share the gospel with this person, but they're gay. So, they need Jesus first, right? Let him clean up all that stuff afterwards, right? I'm so glad that God didn't look at me and go, that dude's a mess, you know, let's move on. Uh, Next address, you know? I was a mess. I was a messed up kid when the Lord found me and he rescued me. No one is ever beyond the grace of God. You know, you, you preach to him, you tell him, you tell him about the Lord, you let him deal with all that other stuff, you know? Well, Verse 13, Paul gets to his conversion. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, above or greater than the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the earth on their faces, the fallen word word there for fallen means they were worshiping, they were in fear and terror. He says, I heard a voice speaking unto me saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. Those words must have felt like a death knell for Paul. He must have sat there thinking, I'm on the wrong side. I chose the wrong side. And he's here to kill me now. <laughs> you know? Can you imagine what it'd be like then to hear the next words? I'm Jesus whom you persecute. This is it, it's over. But rise. We don't get this anywhere else. But rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared unto you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of these things which you have seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto you. Paul never expected to rise, let alone to be given a ministry. He says, I'm here for this purpose, not to condemn, but to save you, Paul, not to wipe out, but to commission. John three sixteen. we all know that for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But we go to verse 17, it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That was God's desire, not to condemn the world, but that through him, the world might be saved. So then what is condemnation? Well, we keep reading. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of this only begotten son of God. And this is condemnation, The light is coming to the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Stay in the light, guys, you know, humble yourself when you blow it, confess your sin and let him wash you and let him use you. You know, this point in time, Paul, you know, he could have, said, no, this isn't right. You didn't fulfill prophecy the way we thought. At that point, we know he actually says, what do you want me to do, Lord? He doesn't say that here, but we know that from Acts 9. What do you want me to do? the Lord says, I'll tell you. (laughs) I have called you to be a minister and a witness, he says, of these things which you have seen. And I got some other stuff I'm gonna show you too. Delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send you. And in verse 18, he says, to do what? What is he gonna do when he sends them to him? To open their eyes and to turn them from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they might receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by the faith that is me. Our job as witnesses for him is to open their eyes. The word there means to cause a person to be able to see and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. The word there means to change their beliefs concerning truth. That's our job, to help them to see and to help them change their beliefs concerning truth. To share our faith in such a way that people can see the truth and then embrace it. Well, how do we do that? We'll turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter four. And I think there's some wonderful principles here that we can learn how to share our faith from. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses three through seven. Paul, in 2 Corinthians, the book, he's making a defense of his ministry. He's explaining his ministry to the Corinthians there because many of them have said, we don't have to listen to you, Paul, anymore. We've got other guys who are better. And so Paul's trying to defend his ministry and and how these guys are false teachers and they need to listen to him. And so he's explaining what he does. He's explaining the ministry. He's explaining the evangelism that he did. But if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, And ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who shined the light, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God not of us. There are three keys here to sharing our faith in such a way that people can see the truth and embrace it. And the first thing is, he says, if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The very first thing, and I think this is where we fail oftentimes in our evangelism, is we must pray. We need to pray because only God can take the satanic blind off so that they can see in the first place. I go down and I teach at the rescue mission every second Wednesday of the month. And I had just finished studying this this week. And I thought, Lord, you know, I am not an evangelist. I I confess it to you guys. I love sharing my faith, like out on the street, one-on-one with somebody or, you know, at a store or whatever, if they're here and I'm just one-on-one with them. I am not an evangelist though. Every time I get invited to do an evangelistic outreach, I'm like, oh, this is going to be great, you know, because I'm just not an evangelist. I'm a teacher. So I go down to this place and, and of course, you know, they ask you every time, you know, how many people receive Christ? You know, and nobody, you know, I'm like, I'm a teacher, you know? And, and, and so, you know, I, so I try to try to do it, you know, and, but not always successfully. And I thought, Lord, maybe this is where I've, I'm not doing as well. And so that, that whole time before I was going on, I'm just praying. I'm like, Lord, I don't know who these guys are, but take the blinders off their eyes, help them to see, Lord, just somehow allow these words of truth to sink into their heart. You do the prep work now. You start stirring up and digging up that soil so that when the seed comes, six people got saved that night. You know, and I thought to myself, Lord, (laughs) instead of grunting and groaning about how I got to make this, you know, evangelistic message or whatever, just you do something. (laughs) Lord, move and just getting on our face to pray for people that you would remove those blinders so that people can see. We need to pray for the lost. If you have people that you care about, are you praying for them every day? God, open their eyes, help them to see, help them to understand. That's where it starts. But secondly, in verse five, he says, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord we need to preach Jesus, guys. (laughs) We don't preach a church. We don't preach a political party. We don't preach anything else. We preach Jesus. They need Jesus. We preach Christ the Lord, it says. Christ Jesus the Lord. His mission, Christ. He's Messiah. His position, Lord. That is what we preach. We tell people who Jesus is, what he did for them, and what they need to do. That is our mission, okay? I still remember, and I've probably told this story a thousand times, but when I was working as a teenager for a restaurant, you know, I had all my coworkers and stuff, they were all hellions, you know, they just, none of them were living for God. I had one guy, to let you know, one of my managers, his nickname was Sin, tells you. So, I mean, that's just, you know, that's the environment I was in. I loved it though. I was, I was, you know, but I was kind of like a bull in a china shop, you know, I didn't have that delicate ability to kind of minister God's love. I just, you know, was wrecking everything in sight. I remember one night we had a, I had a conversation with a couple who worked there and they were living together. And, and I was like, man, Lord, you know, I, you know, I was able to share with them how they shouldn't be living together and, and they didn't have any answers for it. And, and the Lord just gently said to me, he said, that's great. So now they're gonna go to hell celibate. And it just humbled me right there. And he's like, Will, what fight did you win? You know, Paul, at the end of his life, he said, I fought a good fight. That word good there, that means I fought the right fight. I fought the right fight. Which fight are we fighting? You know, we need to preach Jesus. This is where we can easily get sidetracked on secondary issues that don't matter when it comes to heaven or hell. We can talk about evolution later, but let's talk about this issue of Christ. What are you gonna do with Jesus who is called the Christ? Because in the end, that's the most important thing. Lastly, it says, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Listen, the way that we are going to effectively share our faith, number one, you gotta pray. Number two, you must preach Jesus. Number three, you gotta serve him. You gotta serve him. Let people see what Jesus is like by looking at you. We need to be filled with God's spirit to do this, which means we need to be yielded to him daily by being in his word. We need to be on our face saying, God, change me, work in me so that I can shine for you so that you can shine through me. God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, he's now shined it into our hearts. So now we need to be able to let it shine out so that we can give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has given us this treasure. He's put himself inside of us. So that people can see what he's like. And they can know that it's true. You know, we have a great door that God has set open before us. An opportunity to shine even brighter because the darkness is great right now. We could shine clearly, concisely. And so I want to urge you. Paul was commissioned by the Lord. and He said, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient. Under this heavenly vision. But I showed first unto them at Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy for repentance. And this is why the Jews caught me in the temple and are going about to kill me. Paul says, I was obedient to do this. And then he gives us this, this encouragement of how to do it in 2 Corinthians 4 later on. To pray for the lost that God opened their eyes. To preach Jesus and not get sidetracked, and to serve those folks that we're trying to reach out to. And this is the way that we're going to reach people. This is the way that we're going to see lives changed out of darkness and delight, out of bondage to Satan, into the freedom that God has given to us. Amen? Amen. Guys, you can do it, okay? I know maybe you had some bad experiences, or maybe you've never done it before, and you're just terrified. But start off right now. I know that God probably brought some people to your mind as I I talked about the loss. Maybe there's people at your work. Maybe there's people in your family. I know there's probably people who came to your mind. And I wanna encourage you, first thing to do is to commit and say, today, I'm gonna start praying for them every single day. Every single day, God, open their eyes. Give me an opportunity to talk about you and to shine. Amen? I guarantee you, if we all make a commitment to do that, We're going to start seeing people come to Christ because God is still in the business of saving souls, right? Lord, it is so crazy to think that we have this treasure in these earthen vessels, Lord, these bodies that you've designed from dirt. Here we are. You've given us of your spirit. And so, Lord, today we want to commit to you freshly and newly. We want to be faithful witnesses, Lord. We want to be those who pray for our lost friends, loved ones, and coworkers and neighbors. Lord, we want to be those who, who don't get sidetracked, but, but stay on the main thing, Lord, to, to preach Jesus. And lastly, Lord, to serve them. And Lord, we need you to fill us with your spirit. We need that treasure, Lord. We need you to just indwell us and overcome us, Lord, to, to change us. We need you to, to set us free in the areas that hold us back, that we're so focused on our own problems that we, we don't even see the outreach that's right in front of us. And so we yield ourselves to you today, Lord. Have your way in us. Mold us and shape us. Lord, that we give ourselves to you. We want to be faithful witnesses. Give us boldness now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play If you have any spiritual or physical needs please contact us We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday 9am to 4pm Thank you for joining us today